You're listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZW LP Conroe and 106.1 KZCC LP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Welcome to Texas Franchise Radio, where your hosts, Josh Cherry and Robbie Marlowe, bring you all things franchising in the Texas market. Franchising is one of three growth strategies businesses can use to expand and capture market share. Effective when done right, but there's a lot to this dynamic business model. Learn from others in the industry as we bring on all levels of franchise operators and experts. Yo, you ready? Let's go. Uh, Robbie and Josh going live and it's time to hit the road. You were tuned in to Texas Franchise Radio. Oh, you're in the business. Well, this is what you need. Repping Texas, they professionals up in the industry. What we talking about? We talking business models, investing franchises. We going full throttle. Learn about the industry. I know you got the questions. We're trying to help you grow and take it to the next level. What's up? Welcome back, Texas Franchise Radio peeps. We got some people watching in live on Facebook. If you are not, you can go to Texas Franchise Radio on Facebook. Just go to Facebook at Texas Franchise Radio. You can watch us live. Well, hello, Jennifer, Kristen, Shiley, Robbie. Oh, Kristen gave us a wave. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll be monitoring the Facebook Live today and answering any questions that you have while we're on the show here. Texas Franchise Radio, the mission of this show is to educate, advocate, and bring awareness to franchising here in the local Texas market. Brett, that's a that's a key. That's a, that's a little tip for one of the questions we're going to ask on Stump the Chump later. You got so, me worried already. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't want to miss at the end of the show, like always, we're going to do Stump the Chump. We got Big Rob versus Bad Brett. Brett is ready to go for Stump the Chump. I'm, I'm, I'm 0 for 2 for Stump the Chump, so... Hasn't won yet. Ethan's got our Ethan, our engineer's got the hat. We still got the hat. Or whoever loses has got to wear the hat. So oh, no. Robbie's Robbie, you might as well just put it on. Uh, yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who is this show for? Texas Franchise Radio. You guys know this is for three different types of people: business owners looking to scale through franchising, people looking to invest in a current franchise model, say I want to buy a subway, or people who've already invested in a franchise system. Today's show is mainly for that first group, business owners looking to scale through franchising. We actually have a good friend, uh, Brett, on the show today who has a very interesting model that he's looking forward to franchising himself. Uh, So we're going to talk about that quite a bit, but we're going to really dive in, like I said, on that first group, business owners looking to scale through franchising. So again, if you are watching on Facebook Live and you have questions about how to franchise a current existing business, go on at Texas Franchise Radio on Facebook and ask the question and we'll hook you up all right rob let's kick it off so franchising the question is how do i franchise a business or more importantly should i franchise a business <laughs> that is a excellent question and i think uh everybody that has a business currently that's looking to franchise uh, realize that once you franchise you're no longer in the business that you were in if it's a hot dog stand or a fitness gym you're now in the franchising business so most of your effort goes to how do you support or how do you bring the franchise together? Uh, and it goes out of day-to-day operations of the business you're currently in, and you start trying to understand how to grow a franchise. Because honestly, the business concept's totally different. Me and Josh got a hard take at that when we franchised Delta Life, uh, realizing that we weren't in the fitness business anymore, we're in the franchising business. And there was a lot of difference in those two businesses. It's so true. And, and I think we are just now, <clears throat> we said we understood it a long time ago. We went to the International Franchise Association back in Vegas, and we got to see the founders of Painting with a Twist. The first time me and you ever heard that slogan, and the, and the founders of Painting with a Twist, she said, you know, Painting with a Twist really took off when she finally realized that she wasn't in the painting industry anymore. She was in the franchise industry. And that sounds cool. It sounds, you know, different. Okay, yeah, I get that. But it's really true. They're two separate, incredibly separate business models. And because you understand one doesn't mean you understand the other. Uh, there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of things you can do to get there. So we've actually printed off a list of the top seven. Is it seven or eight? Seven things that you're going to need. Uh, and this is straight off of franchisehelp.com. It's the franchise your business checklist. And we're just going to go down this a little one at a time here and talk about them. So the very first one is legalities. So when you're talking about creating a franchise, uh, Robbie, what are some of the initial things you need if you're going to take, if Conroe Coffee here next door wants to turn their coffee shop into a franchise, 
what are some of the basic legal documents they're going to need to get started? So the first thing you're going to need to get started would be the federal disclosure document, the FDD. And what that does is basically helps you disclose your business to uh, uh, possible franchisees ready to come into your system. You have to disclose how much you're, uh, you know, you're out of 19. Uh, and the key to this one is, is actually get good legal help to help you through this. Uh, if you uh, are interested in some help on that place, I can forward you the information to a good lawyer that me and Josh used, but there's a lot of people out there that it's like an all-in-one shop that will get your FDD done, your operations manual done, everything. You almost got to be aware of some of those guys uh, just because those are difficult documents to make and, uh, you know, and they usually farm it out. So first thing to do with number one legality is get good legal help and don't go cheap on that. Uh, not necessarily spend the most money, but do your homework on who you're using um, like we did. It's a, it's, a, <clears throat> it's a good balance, right? Like you don't want to go too cheap because then they leave key things out of your franchise disclosure document that could cost you a lot of money later down the road. But then again, uh, <clears throat> whatever your idea of your franchise model is right now, it's going to change, mm -hmm. right? Like if you have one successful store, if you have two successful stores, if you have three successful stores, you're only getting started, right? You have to reinvent you have to restructure, you have to rebuild this thing at three, at 13, at 30, at 300. So, you know, you, you can't go all in right out of the gate. And, and plus, like, I don't, I don't know if you'd ever get there because I don't think anybody's ever created just, unless you're like a serial entrepreneur, last show we had on a group that they're on their third franchise model. They kind of get it by now. They kind of know mm -hmm. what makes a successful franchise so they can do it faster and quicker the next time. But when you build your first one, you don't know yet. So, you know, most franchise consultants, if they're honest, will tell you that you have to spend three hundred to $600,000 just to really build best-in-class practices to get you going. And you're probably not going to start recouping that money. And I'm just being honest here. You're probably not going to start <laughs> recouping that money until three or five years down the road. Now, I, I say all that. I'm glad nobody told me that back in 2013, 2014, because mm -hmm. now we have a really great franchisable model. Delta Life Fitness is... Uh, I think it's one of the best franchises you can buy into. It's, it, I think it's a better model to buy into than some of the biggest well-known brands that are out there. Just uh, the way that it runs, the fitness boutique industry, the way it's booming. However, it would not have been that way if we just came out of the gate and franchised it and spent 300000 in 2014. We wouldn't have known what we were doing. We had to kind of evolve with it. So something to be said about that too. We can't go too cheap, but you can't expect to knock it all out unless you're just a serial guy. I'm also sure uh, it depends on your franchise model that you're beginning with as well. Yeah, that's a good point. So if you're starting uh, a lower initial cost or uh, or if there's a lot of room for innovation or if it's pretty much already figured out from the get-go. Uh, but even with that, Brett, even if it's a simple model, how are you going to scale distribution is going to change as you hit different levels of economic uh, economics of scale, right? When you hit different econ uh, economies of scale, it's going to completely change how you distribute those goods and services. Right. So, so it's always going to be evolving and changing. Obviously, yeah. that's the biggest thing I've learned. It's not a, okay, we're franchised, we're done. <laughs> it's constant. Well, I think uh, and when we went to IFLE last year, I think one of the key things um, one of the speakers said is that the franchise, uh, the franchisor don't get profitable to offer about 100 units, 100 plus units. So that's uh, put in perspective that, uh, you know, the franchising, franchising itself is not a lucrative uh, or a, it's quick, not a get, good, yeah. yeah, get quick. <laughs> scheme it's a long term hey yeah. i'm in it for the long term and then i've got to try to make it work and i mean it is a it is a hustle it's a grind it's a great business model it's great for scale it's and hopefully it will create long-term wealth for the franchisors but it is not <laughs> a uh, a money wealth you're digging into for tomorrow so what you're saying really is once you start franchising rather than running one business you're potentially almost running two separate businesses that could not be if you're still going to run the individual unit right? That could not be any more true. And now our biggest mistake, I would say one of our biggest mistakes early on, we made plenty, right? And that's what the the purpose of this show is, is to try to help guys like Brett not make the same mistakes Robbie and I did. One of the biggest mistakes we did, Brett, we were still running units and that was our primary goal. And then we thought headquarters or Delta Life franchising, that entity, we thought that was kind of a back office for the gym, which is true. It is one piece of it. Field support and helping your franchisees get and keep clients is one part of franchising, but it's a whole different business model. There's two other very important parts, which is franchising, actually finding qualified people to go represent your brand and development. You've got to have those other two to go along with the back office part. Right. And I'm sure we'll have some questions pretty soon about those things that you're bringing up right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So legality, just to get going and just so everybody knows, probably most people don't know. I didn't know. 
uh, there's actually there's 13 franchise registration states. So in order to be able to sell or offer a fitness, or not a fitness business, but any type of franchise model, you have to create that franchise disclosure document. And really that just satisfies the Federal Trade Commission. And you're just kind of putting that on file. Now, there's some states, California and most of the Northern states, they're called franchise registration states. You have to go to the executives for that state. You have to place your, fran your uh, federal disclosure document on file with those guys. They've got to kind of vet that FDD uh, and they've got to approve you to be able to sell franchises. It, most people you'll see kind of start in non-registration states and go that route to begin with, but that's a big part of legalities. We have two minutes till break, so we're going to fly through this <laughs> checklist real quick just to give people uh, the actual checklist from Franchise Help. Then when we come back from break, Brett here, who actually has a concept that he's interested in franchising, is going to walk us through and ask us real-life questions. And you guys watching, what's up, Ty Seymour? You guys watching on Facebook Live, uh, you guys can also ask questions as well. Uh, so also, you got to have your financials. You're going to have to have audited financials. Like Robbie said, the item 19 is the financials of the actual studios. You can get those audited. You can add those in to your uh, franchise disclosure document, but also the franchise or financials have to be audited. Systems, I can't go enough on this. If you think you have a simple model or you think you have it turnkey, trust me, you've got to get that bad boy documented. Everything has to be systematized. Then once you have it systematized, that's not enough. You got to create all the training to go on top of it. Then marketing, because really the purpose of a franchise system is to help those operators get and keep customers. Huge part of that is how you scale marketing, both nationally, locally, and for their actual store, you've got to set up systems to create that, those marketing efforts, quality control. You As the franchisor, you only have one thing. You only have the brand. So making sure that you have brand consistency and quality control is huge. <laughs> and your attitude, that's probably the biggest one. Know that it's going to be hard. Know that it's going to cost a lot of money. To really create a best-in-class franchise system, it's going to cost a lot of money. We're well over probably multiple millions at this point, well over a million invested in creating a franchise, mm -hmm. just now starting to be able to recoup, recoup some of that money. Uh, but it, it's it's a long, hard road. Now, the benefit is great if you get to the end of the yellow brick road, right? But it is tough. Robbie, anything on that? But uh, what's the percentage of franchises over 100 units? Yeah, so uh, are you trying to dive into my <laughs> stump jump? It's less than, less than 10% of total franchise offerings. So there's about... There's about 3,000 different categories of franchise offerings in North America, about 3,000. Less than 10% of those ever hit 100 units. And Robbie told you when we started this, franchisors really don't start making money off that recurring revenue from royalties until that 100-unit 100 100, 100 mark. So that tells me that less than 10% of franchisors are probably going to make it. So it's, it's a tough world. It's a tough world. Yep. With that, we're going to head over to a break. Hang with us. When we come back, Brett's going to ask some questions. Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show with monthly and weekly slots available in Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 647-3776 to take your first step into the radio world. Does volunteering at a nonprofit horse sanctuary sound wonderful? Or are you a veteran or a veteran spouse and think trying a peer group session through a local Horses and Heroes equine program might be worth trying? Henry's Home Horse and Human Sanctuary located in Grand Central Park by appointment only is home to a growing number of rescued and donated horses. Visit our website at henryshomehorsesanctuary.org or check out our Facebook at Henry's Home Horse and Human Sanctuary for more information. Listen in Mondays at noon to hear Conroe news from local nonprofits, businesses, upcoming events, Conroe Park events, news stories, and information that matters to you with your host, Margie Taylor of Taylorized PR. For more information about being a guest, visit IRLoneStar.com slash Conroe Culture. All right. Welcome back, Texas Franchise Radio. Uh, we got a lot of people joining us in on Facebook Live. Cassie, Ty, Hunter, Kristen, Jess, Shiley, Hunter, what's up? Uh, if you have questions, remember to dive in. Okay, we're going to dive into Brett's franchisable model. Is it franchisable? We'll see. We're waiting to see. <coughs> 
right, Brett. I know that it's a hot dog stand. I think I know the name is Divine Dogs. Walk us through the model. Yeah, so what we're looking at doing is a uh, real basic concept. And the reason why I came up with this concept, because it's a real easy uh, startup with low overhead, high margins. The reason I came up with this plan was uh, to actually put my son to work, who's 16 years old now and has no dream of going to college. So I want him to learn about business at an early age. And so uh, being in my business with Costco, I've actually uh, met a few people in this uh, with this model and that have done this, but are not franchising. And so what my goal is to do with the Vine Dogs is build this up to 10 units and then consider franchising at that point. Um, okay. We're looking to launch in July, which is next month. Okay. So walk us through um, the actual for, for one unit, right? Uh, estimated startup costs. You don't have to get like in the weeds here with all the legalities of it, but just estimated what's it cost to run this thing? How do you see how do you see one day of profit, revenue, expenses, all that going? Walk us through the model. Um, roughly, you're looking at uh, this is a real easy model, not to give away, too much away here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, per unit, you're talking around fifteen thousand to get it started and going, which is really simple. Like I said, low overhead cost for this. Um, and what I did is not doing a food truck, and the reason I went with the cart instead. Um, a lot less permitting, um, a lot easier access, uh, higher margins because of your uh, controlled costs. And uh, actually, to be able to set up at some of the venues and whatnot, I actually have a, an advantage over a lot of the food trucks as well. Okay, so compared to the food trucks, and I guess, you know, depending on where you're able to put this stand, it's probably one of the, the biggest keys to its success, right? That and Definitely. That and I guess, you know... Uh, what all, what all different types of items are you going to push through Divine Dogs? Well, the reality is, is to keep it really simple. And uh, I learned from a gentleman that was actually already been doing this for over five years and uh, had two locations in two different states. And uh, his sales actually varied between the two states, but one state was California and one was Tennessee. So you're looking at two totally different models there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he was bringing in over $2,000 a day in uh, roughly five to six hours a day. Um, from his hot dog cart. So I'm going to be just selling, uh, mine's going to be a gourmet cart. All our sauces are going to be uh, homemade from scratch. We'll have a homemade from scratch chili. We will sell uh, 100% all beef hot dogs, but we'll also have specially made sausages, a vegetarian slash vegan option, and uh, tamales as well. Okay, cool. And uh, so like I said, like you talking to this other guy about how much can you sell in a day? How much of that is hard cost? What's your, what's the margins look like? Like, what are we looking at monthly totals here? Roughly, you know, I have a 500% markup um, on this product. Um, just depending on which item, it's going to go between four and 500% markup. Um, sales, it really kind of depends on your location. And it's going to be hard right now because since I'm a crystal ball to predict that. Yeah. But this guy here was uh, doing, like I said, close to $2,000 a day. A uh, good portion of that, though, is just in beverages alone, okay. uh, which he's buying from anywhere from seven cents to a quarter a piece and selling for a dollar to a dollar fifty a piece. So you see the the market's quite nice there yeah. on the beverages. So how do you get them in the good locations? How do you get them in the good sites? Well, um, really, it's uh, about working with the community and finding a couple good businesses that have regular traffic. Um, I've got a location that I've already been approved for. Um, actually, I've been approved for two locations, which has a lot of regular traffic already going through. They're already established businesses that's actually bringing anywhere from 100 to 200 people through the doors per hour. Okay. <clears throat> so it sounds like unit economics-wise, uh, repeatability uh, all that's going to be there, right? Because it, the cart's the cart. Right. The simplicity is there. The unit economics is going to be there. My last question is, why this? Why Divine Dogs? Is there a secret sauce? Is it um, is it a, is it just a Me Too brand? Is there already franchise models out there that have all this put together for people? Like, why does the world need a franchise model of Divine Dogs? Well, right now, Texas needs a franchise model of Divine Dogs because there's nothing else like it. I've been doing some R&D in the area, and um, I'm just having a hard time following, uh, finding the quality that I'm looking to serve. And uh, I've gone to the other hot dog places. There is one other really good one here, but not really central to where I'm going to be. Uh, the other models that are out there right now, I'm just not fi finding a quality item. Yeah. And I feel that I could fill that market. Hot dog sales are really big in this country. It's a uh, highly sought-after food, even though a lot of people are starting to get out of that junk food model. Um, I am going to cater both sides of that, not only the healthier, but also the uh, regular hot dog. Okay. 
Uh, and that's a good question for anybody that's listening. You want to like, right? Like Robbie, would we have known why, how are we any different from any other boot camp or fitness industry or, or how are we not a me too model? Would we have known the answer to that eight years ago? No, absolutely not. But we stuck with it and we kept innovating. Now we knew exactly where we fit in the marketplace. We know our three uniques, you know, we know we're built for women. We have the 30 minute classes. We have childcare. That's a huge, that's a huge differentiator in the world of boutique fitness. We didn't know that eight right. years ago. So I'm willing to bet you're seeing a gap in the Texas market now, and you're going to exploit that, or you're hoping to exploit that. But I'm betting that your unique identifiers or why you're not a Me Too brand will change over the next 10 years. I guarantee that'll change as times change, the uh, trends change. So your market has to change as well. So you have to actually be on top of the market. You know, since I am wanting to franchise down the line, I'm looking at several different markets. I just got back from vacation. I had a hard time not thinking about work because I was looking at the area I was at, and I was just thinking, I need to be here. And uh, this is a hot spot for me. So as I go around the country and I've been all over the country, I've been looking at the different locations. You know, I've been in Tennessee, Hawaii, California, and I definitely think that I, have a, I can fit in any one of those demographics. That's the struggle of being an entrepreneur. You never turn it <laughs> off. So. That is true. So no, it's true. true. Everywhere you go, you're just thinking like, oh, man, you know what they need here? Hot dogs. But yeah, the point absolutely. being is always being one step ahead of everyone else, being a little bit more cutting edge and trying to see the trends as they're coming out. Cool. Well, well Go ahead. I think it was a good plan on getting to uh, 10 units. And then I think at 10 units, and really probably before that, you'll find out, hey, does the tamales work? Is it just a hot dog offering? Do I, you know, do I add more things? I think you're going to be able to have the time and kind of work all those kinks out. The reason I have that tamale offering is because I'm right here in Texas. Yeah. And that offering may change um, region to region and the demographic of that area. Yep. And one thing you're going to hear a lot, Brett, my people are different. Yeah, <laughs> every, every new market you go into, get ready. Because humans really aren't that different, but you're going to hear that a lot. So get ready for that. Yeah. Any, any, any franchise over here is that. Well, my, my people are different. Here in this area, they're different. Yeah, one of the things, I guess, I don't know, you know, the, the training, offering too many things uh, to kind of look forward to. Um, it's hard to train when you don't have standardization across the platform. Uh, so that's one thing to keep in mind when you start doing some of this stuff. That's why I think this is a great possible model for a franchise. And we'll get into that, I think, here in a minute. But um, it's because of the simplicity of it as well. No, oh, absolutely. Very simple. I, I like simple. I think that's yeah. why we stayed in the fitness industry. We offer one class. You know, we, we try to keep it as simple as possible because, A, the client or the c consumer coming up don't want 100 options hitting them in the face, you know. So. Right. I also believe in the more complex your business, the harder it's going to be to franchise out or build it out. And you got to remember, I started this because I want my 16 year old to be involved in running it. Yeah. No, that's cool. Uh, well, Brett, I sat down with you a couple of weeks ago and you were like, Hey man, I got some questions about franchising and I have this idea. I want to franchise. I said, hold that thought, come ask your questions live on the air so we can get everybody else's questions answered as well. So here you are at the beginning of this journey. You must have some questions. Robbie and I have recently just went through building a franchise. What questions do you have? Well, let's see here. I, I have a couple questions, but you know, my first question is, is, um, as I'm getting going, obviously, you know, I've set up the structure of my business already, you know, we're getting set up as an LLC. So my company is set up as an LLC. So a franchising company, which corporate structure do you think would be the best? Or is there a certain or particular corporate structure that would be better for franchising and why? Yeah, great question. Uh, so a couple of different things to consider here. One, really, it's up to you, right? As long as it is some sort of LLC or corporation or partnership, you get to choose the best tax strategy for yourself. Now, what, what some people don't know, what we did not realize, uh, your headquarters entity will probably involve the brand name or maybe not, right? You may have uh, Brett's Food Services LLC, which owns Divine Dog Franchising LLC, right? right? Which is BNK Enterprises. Okay. And you can kind of separate, Robbie and I talked a lot about this, you can kind of separate out the intellectual property and let one entity own the other, other entity. What's important to know though, and so all those are kind of best practice questions you'll have to ask yourself for tax strategy. The right. one thing that is a fact, when your franchisees go to set up, say you sell one in Dallas, Texas tomorrow uh, to Jerry, and Jerry's going to have his Divine Dogs, he cannot create Divine Dogs Dallas LLC. His LLC or his entity name cannot contain the brand name. Okay. So right. he needs to be Jerry's food LLC. And then he will create a DBA, uh, divine dogs, Dallas. Does that make sense? So he exactly. can have a DBA with the business name, but his actual legal entity can't have the brand name included in it. 
miss anything there, Robbie? <laughs> no. <laughs> and you and you make sure you got to state that too, because you know you'll run into some issues. Okay. Uh, what else you got? We got a couple more minutes here. We'll take a couple right. more questions. Um, and we'll let's dial see here. Into a couple more. Billy Simmons, what's up? So how do you know if you're in a uh, appropriate business concept for franchising? And I'm sure that's something you're going to come across as you go. But uh, what are the uh, light bulbs that go off that say, hey, this could be a great franchisable business? One, you know, we've said it before. The franchise business is a separate business. So are there some revenue opportunities? And food and retail makes that easy because economies of scale. If you as a franchisor can buy the hot dog buns, sell it to them, make up. You buy so many that you can sell it to your franchisees and you make a profit. But they're still able to get the hot dog buns for cheaper than they could go get them themselves. That's economies of scales in a beautiful way. So if you can figure out any kind of good economies of scale, that's a great first checkoff. The next one is literally simplicity. The world voted a long time ago and said, we don't want the world's best pizza. We want convenience and consistency. And that's why Pizza Hut wins over the world's best pizza. Okay, so is it simple enough? Is it simple and repeatable? That's the biggest question. It's really hard to franchise uh, a technical skill like a heart surgeon, it's hard, you know, right. how are you going to find and repeat that the same way every time? Which is why when I started this concept right away, I thought of the concept of possibly franchising this because it was so simple uh, to begin with. And as far as the, uh, the other part of that is, you know, I'm in a perfect spot for that being a buyer for, or a business representative with Costco. Yeah. It gives me a lot of access. Um, do we have time for another question here? Hammer the question and we'll go to a break. All right. How do you market your business? as a franchise and for franchisees and what may be the best avenue to bring in vetted interested parties? Great question. Great <laughs> question to go to a break on. Ethan, we'll kick it over to a break and we'll be right back. Is there someone you know who is hooked on vintage aircraft? Follow the commemorative Air Force and its fleet of World War II planes, including the mighty B-17 Flying Fortress Texas Raiders which is based in Conroe, Texas. Texas Raiders tours locally and all around the United States, offering the public a chance to put their hands on aviation history. What could be a more perfect gift than a flight on a historic B-17? Taking to the sky on the iconic bomber is an experience that will never be forgotten. For the touring schedule, reservations, or more information, go to b17texasraiders.org or call 855-FLY-A-B-17. For those of you who like your partners, your gumbo, and your music salty, well, we're here to help with the music. Julian Shea here, host of Lone Star Country Nights Thursday, your weekly dose of roots and Americana and all the music that makes this part of the country special. We stir in western swing, honky-tonk, Zydeco, Texas blues, outlaw country, and put a pinch of red dirt, and then we smoke it over a slow fire. Then listen to the results Thursday nights on Conroe's 104.5 and 106.1 and worldwide at IRLoneStar.com. A Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show with monthly and weekly slots available on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 647 3776 to take your first step into the radio world. No. <laughs> hey, welcome back, people. Texas Franchise Radio. We are jamming with my man Brett. He's got a really interesting little hot dog concept of Vine Dogs that he's interested in franchising out, and he is asking us a lot of questions. Uh, checking in on Facebook Live, answering any questions we have over there. Kristen said, I love the hot dog being the standard and then adding a local favorite. That's actually that's actually a pretty good idea. You know, having your standard and then just having just one item. That way the franchisee feels like they can service their different people in their different area, uh, but you're able to maintain some sort of standard or quality control as best as possible. I guess the big thing there would be how do you prep that local favorite and making sure that you're able to do that within your hot dog stand. 
Well, you work with uh, local vendors, of course, which uh, I definitely believe in working in the community and finding as many local partners I can team up with. But there was another reason why I did that. And um, when I was taught about the hot dog business, the guy told me about the steamer pans and how it ruins your buns. And that's a quality control issue for me. Because as they steam, the buns actually get hardened onto the side there if they sit next to the metal. And so you actually lose your product in your inventory. So he taught me a better way to steam it without putting them in the steamer pans. So we're actually going to use that for the tamales. Oh, you use the steamer pan for the tamales. Right. Because you've got that freed up. Right. Oh, cool. Cool. Okay, Brett, back to your question. Uh, how do you market to different groups? How do you find your next Right. What I asked was, how do you uh, market your business as a franchise for franchisees? Or what may be the best avenue to bring in vetted interested parties? You know, we call this in our company, we're very lucky. Uh, we have uh, an awesome marketing company. If anybody needs good marketing done, reach out to our girls at redwill.com. Uh, Redwill helps us out a lot. And they've really helped us. Segre- we we, we kind of, anytime you add a new product or have a new service, you have to go back and do your due diligence. You have to build who is your persona, what are their pain points, how do you solve them. You have to figure that out. And we have two, and any franchise does. We have B2B and B2C. Business to business, which we consider our franchise sales, and then B2C, our end customers that actually enjoy the fitness program at Delta Life Fitness, right? Right. Early on, early on, you have zero units, right? And you're just doing B2C marketing, and you have to have a fully different campaign to go out. And there is there is no brand awareness. There are no units people are walking up to. And, man, I like this hot dog stand with a little franchise franchises available sign hanging on the hot dog cart there is not there's there's not there in the beginning right so you have to you have to do probably more b2b marketing early once you hit a certain level and we're starting to see this now once you have a certain amount of stores open and you see some of the bigger brands do it too you can really focus your advertising efforts and drop it in different markets and just talk about the end user product and when people see that and you can just put in subtle things we have a good franchise consultant who's helped us Anytime you do a press release about a new stand or a new unit open, you always put in the word franchising as much as you can. So people see that word, they know what it means. Uh, my, my answer is, once you get enough units open, the majority of your franchise leads that are going to want to open their own is going to come from inside the stores. They're going to go taste the product and say, I love this sandwich. I would like to own this sandwich shop. Man, that was the best fitness class. They made me feel incredibly welcome. I can see myself owning one of these boutique fitness studios. That was a really cool hot dog. I liked how there was a 16-year-old boy out there running it. It had a franchise sign on it. I think I want to get one of those for my 16-year-old son to run in my local market, right? So as you grow, the efforts directed at just finding franchisees, you can just focus the effort on B2C, which is better for economies of scale anyway. Your franchisees are going to appreciate that. You can really focus on the end users, which are going to turn into franchisees. Robbie, I miss anything there? No, that's what I was going to say. You're going to have you're going to get to the point where people are going to come meet your hot dog stand and say, Hey, I'm interested in an opportunity of this. I really like your hot dogs. I like the model, like what it stands for. But another thing would be find out who the perfect owner is. As you run this, you and your son start becoming part of the business. You'll start realizing what it's going to take to run the hot dog stand. I'm sure you already know a lot about it, but who would be the perfect? Would it be a 16 year old kid looking to, for, you know, start a side. That's my question. And part of the last question was, is how are you vetting these people? Yeah. that takes time and, uh, you know, time's of the essence. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the real answer is it, it evolves like everything else, right? Uh, back in the day with our first one, it was somebody's excited about this and wants to do this with us. You're approved. Let's go. Uh, now, as we've grown and built this amazing product, like we're really proud of the brand we've created. And we're well, not- vetting the right people, you know, it's going to affect your brand because if you have the wrong people there, it's going to actually hurt your ultimate brand you know the big picture absolutely and once you hit a once you hit a point of kind of like we're at we're uh we're financially stable like i don't need the next one to survive once you hit that point you realize that if you bring in the wrong person it could collapse all this hard work so our application process went from you know back in the day when we were a licensed model it was do you want to do it do you have a check okay let's go and now it's a five-page application where they have to disclose everything in a blood sample then if they make it through that, we go into an interview process, right? And then we take all of that, the application and the interview questions. We go to a board. We Everybody on the board mm-hmm. gets to review all the answers, and we get to all say thumbs up or thumbs down right. based on financially, are they qualified? Do they have business experience? Am I going to have to teach them how to set up a W-2 employee? Or they, do they have basic business experience? 
And then do they have this business experience? Right. You know, so those are kind of the three main things we look for. But the answer is the, our application process. And I guess you could start with that. You could really, but it goes back to what Robbie said, who is the perfect person? And you need to get your best guess at that out of the gate, but it's going to change. It's mm-hmm. going to evolve. You're going to see like, I thought the guy with the 16 year old son was the best, but it turns out 30 year old women run it better. You know, once you have 30 units right. open and you kind of compare, you have some comparison. Same thing goes for site selection. You start off with site selection with not very strict rules. You can put this thing anywhere. And then you're going to see when you get to 10, man, those four that we had in the mall are beating all the ones we had in the car dealership lot, right. whatever. You know what I mean? So your your requirements for site selection and applicants for who can run your store, all that's going to get more and more narrow as you go. How wide were both of those things when we started and how narrow are they now? Now we have a whole process you go through. Uh, when you get a realtor, you have a worksheet you fill out and everything from how do you turn into the location to uh, how many parking spots. We look at everything. And then similar to the application, we bring it up to a, uh, we call it the resag board, but they look at the location, make sure we get multiple eyes on it. Because once we sign a location, it's it's a five to 10 year agreement. We're going to be paying this lease. Right. We want to make sure that we're making the right decision for the franchisee. Uh, I am uh, curious if, say, if somebody wanted to open a Divine Dog, but they wanted to open inside a mall, is that something that you're going to be open to? Um, well, obviously, we'd have to check everything out about. It's gonna go, I don't know that a mall would be our right demographic, especially with a cart, and most likely they're going to have a food court in there already. Um, so I don't know that a mall would be a proper demographic, but we'd probably take it on a basis by basis um, situation. So we look at each situation individually. Yeah, somebody's going to ask you that eventually. So. Yeah. Well, we just had one person do that, actually. Uh, Cody, Donna, Heath, and Stephanie have joined. What's up, guys? He says good stuff from Easy Certs. Pretty good dude. Uh, Hunter says, hi, where would the ideal location for one of these hot dog stands be? What are you thinking? Well, you know, you're definitely, like I said, uh, the, the two locations I'm looking at now, without giving too much away until we open, um, are going to be in high-traffic locations where you're going to be doing a service to this business's employees. So what I'm looking at now is a couple of businesses where I have four and five hour windows where I'll be able to serve in front of their location, catering to their employees and all their customers coming through. This has been a proven model um, with these types of locations. And uh, when I was learning about this business, uh, it's the exact same business that this previous person was actually standing out in front of. But like I said, this is a business that actually has one to 200 uh, customers coming through their doors every hour. And they see this as a benefit for their employees as well. So they don't have to really leave to go get lunch or go too far away to go get lunch. This is an added service. So they're not just eating out of vending machines. And this is the more we go into this, why would anybody franchise? This is so much work. It's incredibly hard. (laughs) You know, the other thing is, is this is a type of, you know, carnival fair, you know, community event type, uh, Oh, yeah. business too where a lot of my um, money or revenue is going to come in from these local um, events that's a good and, point um fairs and whatnot like so locally that would be like the taco tequila and margarita festival and the trucker yeah. treat you can have really good bo- like booster weekends exactly that's going to boost your sales um, and you'll probably do um just looking at the numbers what some of these businesses do you'd probably do three or four days worth of business in one day yeah uh, as opposed to sitting out in the other place for four or five days well everything you were just talking about right like that's what and when they say and we're talking today about how to franchise a business you have a concept you want to franchise it and we can talk about this concept and we will this whole show is going to be dedicated to this but you can go on and on here everything you just said well you want to have this many people walk by all that's got to be documented in your site model criteria. Me and Robbie have a site model before they even get nope. to the resack board. I've actually gotten door counts from these businesses. Yeah. And, um, you know, I work with Costco now, so we, we operate on door counts. We know how many people are coming in every hour. That's how we fluctuate how many cashiers we're going to have at the front, how we can get everyone through the lines as quick as possible. And so I went to these businesses and asked for their door counts. And uh, believe it or not, I got them. Yeah. And, that, and that's going to be, like I said, like on our site model criteria, we have things such as how many households are within three miles, what's the average demographic of those of those households, and what's the drive-by traffic a day. We do 40,000 uh, cars per day drive, right. drive-by. Yours may very well, your site model criteria is you're showing people eligible sites they can set up their stand might have things such as door count. Mm-hmm. But you'll have to document that when they talk about systematizing and documenting right. that. So we, we, we talked about the things you need. We talked about the FTD, which is incredibly important. 
we were lucky again to have a really good franchise consultant who taught us you really need three manuals, three manuals or four manuals. You need an operations manual, which is your day-to-day -day operations. You need a pre-opening manual, which Robbie's working heavily on right now. We're, we're, we're pretty close. We have four solid chapters of a pre-opening manual. We're getting there. But basically, you want to have a manual that when somebody signs a franchise agreement, you can hand them this pre-opening manual and they could go start their business and never have to call you. That's a great thing. And luckily with my model, I have a feeling this will be a very simple thing. Very Excellent. simple, easy to run type of franchise. That's about the only business you can franchise because even the simple ones are hard. Uh, and I don't want to make it sound too easy because it's not all that easy. There's a lot of research going into it. This has been two years in developing no, yeah. this concept. And well, simple sure and easy right. are not the same. Some right. people rush into business too quick, and those are the ones that go out quick too. Yeah, yeah. Sim sim simple and easy are not the same. Simple no. models, still <laughs> any business model in the world requires an extreme amount of work and effort. Um, so you need the, the pre-opening manual. You need the operations manual. You need the recruitment manual, which is how you find new franchisees. That's the three. That's the three. Oh, and then the fourth one is how do you run your operations at headquarters? So those are the those are basically the four essential things you're gonna have to document from start to finish. But you don't start with everything perfect, right? Like we're not even hundred. A lot of bugs get worked out as you go. I've yeah. owned eleven businesses in my past. I've never franchised anything yet, so that's why I'm here today. But uh, you know, running a business isn't the problem. My concern is uh, how do I franchise this business and take it to the next step. Yeah, nice. Uh, Texas Franchise Radio asked a question. I'm guessing that's, I'm guessing that's Cody Bishop. What's <laughs> up, Cody? Uh, so he said, how do you start to scale the franchise sales process once uh, once to other cities, much less other states? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, and, you know, in franchising, the term is called DMA. Just to educate everybody, mm -hmm. it's called a DMA, a Designated Marketing Area. And that's the way the franchise industry works and breaks up territories. And basically that's, uh, designated marketing area is how the TV broadcast broke up the entire country based on if you ran a commercial in Houston, which all houses would that show in? And DMAs are massive, right? The Houston DMA, for example, goes all the way up north of Willis, all the way down to the southwest to Matagorda Bay, encompasses Galveston Island, mm -hmm. and all the way over to about Winnie, right? Like that's the Houston DMA. It's massive. Um, the best strategy is really to try to grow dma by dma until eventually you can just open it up and go all over the country we went all over the country early it's been a little better since we've focused just on houston and texas in general if you can put those efforts straight into one dma well i would think the longer you could sit in one area it benefits you as a uh, franchising company as a whole because you're having that presence a little bit longer in that area and you're able to saturate a little bit more which gets your brand out there a little bit more yeah brett do you have any other great questions before we get into my favorite part of the show, uh -oh. Stump the Chump. Robbie, do you have something? No, I was just going to say you can use your marketing dollars more, kind of reiterate what Britt said about marketing with your, and then support. You know, you have one in Seattle, one in uh, New York, one in Texas. Having to support those guys make it a lot more difficult than if it's right in your backyard. Right. My, uh, my last thing would be to just touch quickly, and I know this is a really complex one, and we talked about this when we met last time, Josh. Um, the franchising contract, which is a main player in this whole thing happening. You were talking about how extreme and um, lengthy this is. So maybe you could talk about that briefly um, because I know this is a complex part of this agreement. Yeah, absolutely. And when you create your franchise disclosure document, it lists all the things you also have to send to a potential franchisee. And that includes the franchise disclosure document, anything that you use to offer or sell franchises, the franchise agreement or a template thereof and your area development agreement. All of those are items or, or articles of and included in your, your federal disclosure document. All of those three put together, it's about 300 pages. Wow. <laughs> it covers, wow. The, the basics of it is, is that, here, here's the reason. Back in, back in the 70s, people would go to franchise expos, they would set up fake businesses, they would say, Brett, we got a brand new hamburger concept for you. Put your 5,000 down today and we're going to give you all the support. We're going to basically run the thing for you. You put your 5,000 down, we're going to make you rich. And there's a lot of those going around right now. I've been seeing some, uh, especially on social media right now. Yeah. Yeah. Not with franchising, it's hard because it is highly regulated by the federal trade commission, but there's other different types of growth strategies to do it. Licenses and other things. Anyway, people would put their 5,000 down. There wasn't even a business. So federal trade commission came in and said, you've got to fully disclose what's going to be required of the franchisee and what you're obligated to do to help them. That's basically all the franchise agreement right. is. And that's why these lawyers come in handy. A, a good lawyer. 
Yes. You want to have it perfectly spelled out because we didn't even know what all we needed to spell out in version one, but luckily we had a good franchise attorney who knew these are going to be things that are going to come up that are contested. You know, can people post whatever they want on your social media? No. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think you're doing, you're starting off right, Brett. We're coming out here <clears throat> asking questions and that's key to anybody that's about to start a franchise is make sure you go find somebody that's done it or go get some consultant there and just ask questions and get a feel for it because, so you don't make those early mistakes. Yeah. Right. And I'm trying to pre-plan. I'm not planning on doing this for another two years as far as the franchising side, but I want to be ahead of the game, not behind the game. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to run out of time. Let's jump into <laughs> Stump the Chump. This has uh, been a great episode on how to franchise your business. If you have more questions about how to franchise Brett, you've been a great uh, host here with us today. If you have more questions, go to Texas Franchise Radio on Facebook. Ask us your questions. Send me and Robbie an email. Josh at DeltaLifeFitness.com, Robbie at DeltaLifeFitness.com. Reach out to us. Ask us anything you have about how to franchise or any questions you have about it. We're here to help stump the chump. There's four questions for each of you. You get one point for each correct answer. No multiple choice today. The winner, Ooh. whoever gets the most whoever gets the most points wins. As all of our listeners know, I always start off with a really big softball just to kind of break the ice for you guys. Brett, your softball question. What state is Texas Franchise Radio primarily for? Texas. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> All right. Brett's on the board with one point, Robbie. Uh, by the way, if you guys don't remember the stats, Robbie is 0-2 oh and 2 oh this and game. Two. He's not very good. He's supposed to be some kind of trivia wizard. Yeah. But uh, All right, right Robbie. Uh, your softball question, just to get us warmed up. What is the airspeed velocity of a European unladen swallow? <laughs> <laughs> Seventy-five miles per hour. That's wrong. It's about twenty-four miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> Brett takes an early lead, <laughs> one to another. Probably missed the softball, man. You yeah, gotta that was be a softball. Me. Brett, whenever you're talking about franchising, there's a there's an initial startup cost, right? I told you earlier, there's about three thousand public offerings here in North America for franchises. When you disclose in your one of the first things you disclose in your federal uh, disclosure document, your FDD, is your initial estimated startup cost. Out of those 3,000 initial franchises, what do you think the average initial startup cost is for a franchise? The the average initial startup cost. Average initial startup cost. And you're talking for any franchise that's out in the market. This could be for a home cleaning service or a 7-Eleven. What's the <clears throat> average? I'm going to say, uh, and you're talking about all costs included, I'm going to say... Um, $800,000. Okay. Robbie, what do you think? 250000 <laughs> It's 250000 Oh, man. <laughs> Robbie gets back on the board. <laughs> All right, Robbie, you get first chance at this one. Oh, man, why did I give Robbie this answer? Uh, Robbie, the average length of a franchise agreement is for how long? 10 years. Robbie's got two. <laughs> Nobody's excited. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, uh, Robbie's so, excited. Sally said, good guess, Robbie. I was off by about, you know, 50 miles per hour. Okay, Brett, what is the number one franchise business industry? So what type of business? Restaurants. Is there a specific type of restaurant, if you had to guess? When you say specific type. Yeah, is it is it uh, sit-down dining? Is it quick serve, fast food? I would say food? quick serve, fast food restaurant. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> Brett gets that one. He had it. I just had to nudge him in the right direction. Well, I just had to know uh, there's so many different options as far as. Uh, yeah. Uh, Brett is tied back up. We are two to two, my friends. Robbie's trying to. You see him? He's I saw him to, looking. He's trying to look. I don't know. Luckily for y'all, I'm blind, so <laughs> I can't see that far. All right, Robbie. Approximately one out of every blank businesses in the U.S. is a franchise business. One out of every blank. Uh, one out of every three. And Mr. Brett, you get a guess as well. One out of every, I'm going to say one. Oh, wow, that's a tough one. Robbie says three. It's probably just a little bit more than that if I had to steer you in a certain direction. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go one out of four then. It's 12. Brett's closer. <laughs> he comes away with it. We just said a little bit, you know, I, I, I yeah. went a little bit. Isn't that interesting, though? One out of every 12 businesses here in the U.S. is a franchise Obviously, business. I thought it was a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brett, we're back over to you. What percent of franchise owners are men? This is interesting. Wow. What percentage franchise owners are men? Out of a possible 100 percentile. 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Not that much of a chump. <laughs> um, let's go with, um, I'm going to say 68%. Robbie, do you have a guess? 70%. Oh, that was a that was a that was a messed up move, man. It's I, I was super proud of you with sixty eight because it's seventy one point nine. Wow. Robbie basically stole that one. That's... He went with the prices right. <laughs> he said, "I'll see your four over my three and get back at you." All right, Robbie. The fitness industry grew from. All right, we got two minutes. We got one question left. The fitness industry grew from eighty one billion to eighty three billion from two thousand fifteen to two thousand sixteen. And then again, it grew to 85.5 billion. So the fitness industry. And then again, it grew to 85.5 billion in 2017. It's now predicted and on track to hit 87.5 billion this year. So from 81 billion to 87.5. What percentage of millennials exercise or would like to? I'm glad that was yours. That was a long question. Uh, 78%. Do you have a, a rebuttal to 78%? And this could be... For all the marbles. Oh, man. <laughs> I would ask you to repeat that, but that was really long. So what percentage of millennials exercise or would like to? I am going to go with um, or would like to. The, yeah, that's, that's a, a yeah. tough one. That kind of hurts yeah. the question a little bit because they'd all like to. Yeah, you uh, think I'm going to so. say I mean, 82%. About- it's 81%, my man, bro. Yes. <laughs> Robbie's the chump. Robbie's the chump. All right. It's uh, according to Ursa, 81% of millennials exercise or would like to. Any guesses on how many percentage of baby boomers exercised or would like to whenever their whenever their time was compared to millennials? 81% is millennials. The or like to is the confusing part. It, I wasn't going to say with baby boomers, uh, 69%. It was 61%. Yeah, so I think that's why we see 81 billion to 88 billion. It's on the rise. This has been Texas Franchise Radio. Thanks, everybody. Brett, thanks. Thanks for Robbie. having me out. <laughs> thanks for keeping your streak 0-3. Yeah, 0-3. We'll see you back next month, guys, on Texas Franchise Radio. We'll see you. All right, thanks, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Texas Franchise Radio, where we bring on all the local franchise experts. If you liked the show, please share it with your friends. If you have any questions you'd like answered live on the show, send them to at Texas Franchise Radio on Facebook. Till next time. Texas Franchise Radio. You ready? Let's go. Uh, Robbie and Josh going live and it's time to hit the road. You were tuned in to Texas Franchise Radio. Oh, you're in the business. Well, this is what you need. Repping Texas, they professionals up in the industry. What we talking about? We talking business models, investing franchises. We going full throttle. Learn about the industry. I know you got the questions. We're trying to help you grow and take it to the next level. Straight up. Franchise operators and the experts. It's time to tune in and expand your network. So let's see how it's all done and how it's operated in the local Texas market. Time to get us educated. Robbie and Josh going live. Time to hit the road. You tune in to Texas Franchise Radio. Get your business popping. Yeah, they came to let you know. You tune in to Texas Franchise Radio. Oh.